And we're back. I'm Gervier Brahm here with Jamal Carsandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting to the latest James Bond movie, No Time to Die, and we're reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Folks, it's showtime. Have you ever done one of these things before? Nope. James, now your enemy is my enemy. What is it? You don't know what this is. If we don't do this... Nothing left to say. Come on, Bond. In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for No Time to Die. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. Just right off the bat, we're coming off watching James Bond. Yeah. We watched it together, and I just want to preface this episode by just saying I know nothing about James Bond. Yes. I am so just uneducated about James Bond and the cultural significance and all that kind of stuff surrounding it. This is my episode where I'm interviewing Jamal Karsandu, our local representative from the UK. You're straight up repping for James Bond in this episode. Yeah, this is so interesting, right? It's not going to be that often that we, A, go to the cinema and watch a movie where one of us is so invested in a particular franchise or a genre and the other is literally so like a deer in the headlights when it comes to everything to do with the history of what we just watched. Yeah, I mean, even to preface it, I've I've seen Quanto Solace. I remember I watched that and uh, just being very disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, back in the day, I watched, like, one Pierce Brosnan movie when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember playing Goldeneye. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sucks that you watched literally the worst <laughs> Daniel Craig James Bond movie, yeah. and that was your only reference going into Powers. another time. I'm going to consider Austin Powers part of yeah, my... Yeah, listen. That's part of my canon. When it comes to spoofs, obviously, you had Austin Powers movies for Rowan Atkinson fans. You had the Johnny English franchise. But, man, for me, growing up in the UK, like, James Bond is, like, as close to a national treasure you can get you can get in the UK. If you go back to the 2012 Olympics, like the opening ceremony directed by Danny Boyle, number one, number two, actually had James Bond, Daniel Craig, flying in via parachute. Obviously, you know, very well coordinated with some camera trickery and all that. But, you know, he was a major part of that opening ceremony. This was the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So when you think of the UK, you think of the royal family, you think of the Queen, and you think of Parliament, you think of Big Ben, you have to throw in James Bond as, I guess, the closest we have to a superhero character, a comic yeah. book character that has legitimate history. I mean, we're talking about, what, the 25th James Bond movie that just got released? It's generational. It's part of the fabric of what it means, I guess, in many ways to be British is, like, I mean, James Bond... I you know, it's wishful thinking. It's like the highest end version of what it is to be British. I'm talking about the other side is like tea and crumpets. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then like you know, like the Cockney accent and all that kind sure, of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But like at, at your best, you got James Bond. Here's what I mean by that. I mean to grow up watching James Bond is to be British as much as perhaps. For a lot of Canadians, growing up watching hockey. Sure. You know what I mean? I was going to say, we don't have that. We we don't have any equivalent. Like, we got Mountie, and, like, that's about it. Yeah. We, like, actually, probably the best thing we have is Bret Hart. I would... But it's either gonna be like Bret Hart or Wayne Gretzky, yeah, something like that. There's just we don't have uh, a superhero figure like that. No, like we we technically have Wolverine, yeah, but he's not ours. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like he he immigrated a long time ago, right? Like he left us, and he's been part of the X. He's more X Men than he is Canadian. And if you think of the MCU, it's like what British superhero is there? We just got a, a, a multiverse version of Captain Carter. Like that's literally, I think, the closest we have to someone being in the mix with the Avengers or something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, why why do you think James Bond as like a character pops off so much in the UK? Why do you think people identify with that character so much? I think it's the fact that he's British, and in, historically in movies, the Brits are usually the villains. If you look back at you know a plethora of different genres, a plethora of different movies, there's either a Brit or a or, or a British group or an army, or there's going to be a British villain. And here we have a character that has sustained through what 40 years now, 50 years. It's, it's what a, what an incredible run for this character, from the novelization all the way through to the movies and video games. He's the hero. He's the good guy, and you know he I guess identifies with international audiences as being you know the, the you know if we look at the the history of like cowboys and indians right you had john wayne and then you had like all these um action heroes of the 80s right stallone and, and schwarzenegger and then you had a completely different you know genre of i guess quote-unquote action heroes with 
method actors you know, that were jumping into the action genre. Here you have a character that's been portrayed by different types of actors, but consistently has always done the same thing. He's James Bond, you know, he's got a mission, and there's some people that he's gonna kill, but he's British. And I think that's the biggest thing from why I think the international audiences love James Bond is the fact that he is British. Like what other characters, what other franchises, what other stories are there out there that people you know genuinely love because the lead character is British. I can think of like sitcoms or like romantic comedies where like sure. the British guy. Like, I can think like in my head like Hugh Grant or someone like that. That feels very like my understanding of a portrayal of like an English person, but it doesn't. It, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. It rarely fits into like an actual superhero aesthetic or like just a hero in general. Yeah. I guess like war movies are definitely going to be uh, like more in that genre as well. Again, A, they're all one-offs, yeah. right? It's not a reoccurring character. It's not a franchise, yeah. And even the, 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 the point you just made about Hugh Grant, it's more about the actor. Oh, I'm going to watch a Hugh Grant movie because yeah, 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 yeah. it's going to be a British rom-com. James Bond is definitely like this cemented, like he, he's a bigger property just as a brand yeah. than any of the actors that are playing him. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and, and the so, cool thing about the James Bond movies is you pretty much get a lot of what you get in other action movies. You get the, the quick-witted one-liners. You know, you get the fancy cars. You get the gadgets. So outside of James Bond being British, it is this idea of the spy movie. You know, it's a spy movie, it's a thriller movie, but it's fun, it's action-packed. You look at some of the, I guess, technology or the kind of really high-concept plots that you get in movies like the Fast and the Furious franchise where you have a couple of guys going into space. James Bond's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. He's been to space. You know, yeah. He's been underwater. He's been in every single scenario you could think of over the last 25 movies that we've seen. I have so, like, just about, like, uh, everything you just said right there I have so many questions and so many things I want to talk about and we'll get into that in just a few minutes but I, I do have a few other questions just to get like a surface idea yeah. for people who aren't big James Bond fans why why does that name still like carry weight like I, I just want to understand in terms of the actual franchise how can how did they explain it where one actor or one character is basically played by multiple actors well I think what they've done very cleverly especially over the last couple of iterations it's almost like a reset it's like a reboot when Sean Connery had his run they were all individual movies there was no connective tissue between the movies themselves really and truly the same thing with Roger Moore the same thing with Timothy Dalton the same thing with Piers, Piers Brosnan the difference with the Daniel Craig run is there's tons of connective tissue it's almost as if these five movies are one big story arc and there are, there are characters that are referenced in this last movie that we haven't really heard of since the first movie there's a couple of reoccurring villains there's this overall arching group that has been kind of like the, the manipulating overarching villain across all five movies but ultimately i feel like what they've done with daniel craig and the Broccoli family with James Bond over the last 15 years almost sort of reinvent it in many ways, modernize it for a brand new generation. Because I feel like, you know, the Pierce Brosnan movies were fun, but by the end of his run, it was kind of getting a little bit, okay, this is bordering slapstick. Mm -hmm. This is almost bordering comedy. You know, this is not getting to be that believable again. And I feel like Daniel Craig, and I think when his run first started, it was kind of off the backs of the Jason Bourne movies, right? Mm. And Daniel Craig and the action and the, even the fight sequences and everything felt more raw, felt more gritty, it felt more realistic. Even though there's crazy you know, plots throughout these movies, if it's felt more grounded in reality than any of the Piers Brosnan movies or even, in fact, any of the other James Bond movies in history have. I walked into this movie fully expecting that I was going to be okay to watch it completely without knowing anything else because my understanding walking in was that this is going to be a one-off. Yeah. Like, every single James Bond movie is a one-off, self-contained story. And that was not what happened in this movie. Yeah. So, uh, I was a little bit confused. So, obviously, that's going to be a little bit... That's going to mar my view of the movie for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think, if anything, it's going to be a unique take on what I just watched. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you hey, Yeah, so let's get into it. I have a few questions just about this movie specifically. I mean, I'll say the cool thing about James Bond in general for me is, like you said, the cars, his style, the chase scenes, the gun action is very, like, unique. Like, it's not unique, but it's just like such a... The way it's executed in a James Bond movie feels fucking cool. Yeah. Because it's like this cool, 
badass British spy doing it. Right. I don't know why it just feels cooler than like when I watched the Bourne Ultimatum. That feels very gritty, very realistic, but the sleekness is way more transparent in this franchise, the which I appreciate. About him. Yeah, yeah, which I appreciate. I'm yeah. a fan of that. Like, and again, his Aston Martin, all his cars are so dope. I don't give one shit about cars. Yeah. But everything that James Bond has about cars is exactly what I like about cars. Aston, Aston Martin, another British brand. Think about how many British brands have been associated with James Bond over the years, for goodness sakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, even on the other end, like this movie was a tremendous example or like a tremendous advertisement for Range Rovers and Land Rovers. They yeah. had that whole scene where they're just cutting through everything. In my head, I'm just thinking like, if this was my Jeep Cherokee, I would have been fun. <laughs> like, I would have been so fun. But uh, yeah, and even just other stuff like the the Billie Eilish song. Like, I, I like that they have a theme song for every single movie. Another great point. This, these that. are all things about James Bond movies. We talked about, you know, the gadgets and the suits and the quick one-liners and mm-hmm. the names Bond, James Bond and all the kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But like, it's like you said, there's always an incredible opening title sequence uh, in a James Bond movie. There's always that incredible song and those songs typically... You know, they choose the artist of the time. Yeah. And they always end up being bangers. They always end up being number one in the charts. People still download, listen, stream, whatever. And that's a part of the James Bond experience. And because a James Bond movie perhaps only comes around every, what, three or four years. Yeah. It's kind of like almost like its own mini event. All right, we've got, I'm, I'm now you know thirsting for a brand new James Bond movie. Here we go again. Yeah. What's the movie song? What's going to be happening in the movie? Who's going to be the big villain? And they always get like Oscar Academy Award winning actors uh, to jump in and yeah. play roles. It's incredible. Man. It's different because it feels like with a James Bond is a franchise. Like let's say for example compared to like a superhero movie, you might get popular people but rarely do people ever expect this is going to be on the level where it's going to get nominated for an Oscar or anything like that. Yeah. With James Bond, it's almost taken for granted that I almost expect the highest level of acting within this superhero franchise, essentially. Right? Like, I completely... I expect it. I fully expect that. I do never expect that from when I'm watching a Marvel movie or a DC movie. If I get that, that's a bonus. Yeah. If I'm not getting that from a James Bond movie, I'm disappointed. Right. Right, and I feel like that's a very different thing. Also, again, just more James Bond isms. It's like the technology that they use, like for espionage and all that kind of stuff, so cool. Like just like even uh, in this movie, they had that glass cutting scene. Yeah, the glass just silently falls on the floor, and like they have all this like intricate like virus, like this like this virus that they're trying to spread very uniquely through technology and all this kind of stuff. It's very cool that it was the movie was delayed because of COVID and the the subject content was about a virus that's getting spread anyways. Oh, I was just about to say, that is a crazy coincidence. Yeah, 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 exactly. And again, it's just cool that they're with the times, even if it's by, by accident. accident. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. It makes me even think, like, are there villains that are this sophisticated in real life that we just don't know about? Because yeah. they must exist, right? Like, that has to happen. Like, there has to be some sort of, like... <laughs> For our own sakes. I'm bored. I'm very down, right? <laughs> oh I just God. want them to report on it more. Right. That's what I want. But, yeah, now that, like, again, let's talk about this actual movie. What did you like about it? Like, I, I'm assuming that you're a fan, right? Yeah, yeah, I am a fan. I thought this was a great conclusion, is what I'd say. Like, again, what, I think what you have to give credit to Daniel Craig specifically and the Broccoli family with how they treated this particular iteration of James Bond they had a goal in mind. They they kind of almost finished it in the fourth one. They kind of got Daniel Craig back to come back for a fifth one, and that was always up in the air. We never knew he was contracted for an X amount of movies, but he came back for a fifth one. But what they did is they basically tied everything together, and that's something that the other actors and the other James Bonds, they never had. It was always going to be like, I'll do one more, and it'll be its own self-contained story. Yeah. There's no kind of like overlap from any of his previous um, iterations or previous movies. Like... When James Bond, uh, when Pierce Brosnan, you know, is you know playing James Bond in a Die Another Day, there's no relevance to Goldeneye at all whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They're just two different movies. They're they're in two different uh, times of his career or his life, but there's nothing that says, oh, you know, let's go back to his interaction with Sean Bean at 006. There's none of that exists in No Time to Die and in all of these movies with Daniel Craig. There are sometimes, you know, small callbacks. To the other movies, sometimes they're big ones, and we have reoccurring roles in many of the other actual characters in the movie itself. How does that number thing work, by the way? How does how does it work where the agent that gets 007 is like the 
the baddest bitch. I don't know. I have no idea how that, that's, that's probably something from the novelization. But again, I think it's one of those things that has been almost made popular in the iconography of James Bond. He Which is. It's weird that there's like self-referential in this movie where the the uh, the other character wants to be known as 007. Right. Right. Which is like that shouldn't matter in this universe. Yeah. What's funny is how Casino Royale starts. The very first scene with Daniel Craig is him achieving 00 status. Okay. And, and I'm not going to ruin it for you specifically uh, because obviously you haven't seen it but if, if anybody was able to go back and you know that's the other thing I, the thing I have to mention is let's just say right now you have watched no James Bond movies and you are not a fan of James Bond but you want to give it a try you can literally watch five Daniel Craig movies and almost watch it like a saga almost watch it like you know a franchise where you're going to get a payoff from having watched the first one and the second one and the third as you kind of go through the series. Yeah, it definitely feels like that's like a separate franchise within itself. Yeah. Like it feels like there's James Bond in a grander sense, but then Daniel Craig's feels like it's just by itself. Yeah. That's a standalone story. It almost feels like a multiverse, right? Like where all those other guys kind of fit into like this one universe. He's like this branch reality, right? Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know. Also, it was interesting to see how like business casual this James Bond was. Right. Like up until he gets his suit. Like I was expecting this guy's a pimp. This guy is uh, you know, he's he's killing people, he's he's scoring chicks and all this kind of stuff. This James Bond, obviously at the end of his tale, I'm assuming obviously he's gone through like a lot of growth. But I saw simp James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I see a very different situation where he's like in this very intense relationship with this character and who I really like, by the way. She's played by Leah Seydoux and who plays Madeline. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. Like, I've seen her in uh, Midnight in Paris and immediately I was like, okay, cool. Like she's, I know she's a dope actress and she, I think she really like did a great job just playing that that other side of the character where James Bond's this conflicted person and she had to basically be the one to kind of take it. And again, a reoccurring character. She first got introduced into this franchise in the last movie, Inspector. Mm. So they kind of carried that story on. That's what I love about this franchise uh, with Daniel Craig is like, you know, he has gone through a lot. Like when you first meet him in Casino Royale and, and kind of what he goes through, the trials and tribulations, like everything that you think about James Bond over the last five movies, he's given you the one-liners, he's worn the suits, he's been a bit more business casual, you know, he's been a bit rough, rugged around the edges. He's been in a situation where almost like, do you remember when um, the Dark Knight rises and it's almost Batman seven years later and Christian Bale is kind of like broken down and he has to almost start to like train again to become yeah. Batman? Daniel Craig has that moment in this series okay, okay. where t enough time passes and he's kind of like almost an obsolete agent and he has to come back and kind of start working out and training and start kind of get back into the mix again. Yeah, I mean, the, the ebbs and flows of his character over the last five movies has been, uh, I think, really well received. Yeah, I'm sure it's people. like an interesting place where James Bond has never been taken before. Yeah. There's a lot oh, of stuff like 100%, that. 100%, yeah. Right? Like, there, there's obviously, like, the storyline that's, like, the big overarching storyline of this yeah. one, which is where he's a father. Yeah. Right? I'm I, I have to assume that that's the first time a James Bond has been a father in this franchise. From my recollection, yeah, I haven't seen oh, you know, heard of any other other James Bond being a family man or having kids. Yeah. Uh, but the ultimate thing and obviously this is major spoiler alert, hello, but by the end of the movie, <laughs> we warned you at the start. <laughs> exactly. But by the end of the movie, he dies. Yeah. Never happens. Never happens. And that's that's a cool thing about this series is that hey, you know what? We're going to give him a legitimate conclusion. He's going to, again, you can, uh, I guess, discuss the, the choice if you want. But the fact that say, hey, you know what? He's going he's gonna, to you know, kill himself or kill himself. He's going to allow himself to die. Sacrifice himself. Sacrifice himself. Sacrifice himself. But it's a tragic ending. Yeah. There is a, there's a reason he kills himself. And it's kind of like, it tugs at the heartstrings because he's so close. He's so close to that finish line where he's been trying to get out of this game for so long. And he sees uh, the love of his life and he sees a daughter he sees riding off into the sunset and all of a sudden plot twist unfortunately that's not going to happen and then he dies tragic stuff yeah and he has to he makes the choice to do that specifically because he like literally can't be with them yeah because he gets that virus and if he were to get it he would infect them yeah or even if he was to like pass it on via other people yeah, that may yeah, interact yeah. with them there's so exactly. many different ways this virus can, you know and I thought the way they told that story of the virus in this movie was really really cool as well. I think so too it was also the most elaborate way I've ever seen somebody go away for cigarettes like, <laughs> you know what I mean like if he has to pay five years worth of child support to this poor lady who had to raise this kid by herself. <laughs> yeah. like, if you think about it, if you watch, like, knowing that piece of information, and then you go back and watch the movie from the start, you're like, wow, this guy's a bit of a deadbeat. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, James Bond? <laughs> what is going yeah. on right here? We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. 
Now let's talk about like each individual actor because obviously we'll talk about Daniel Craig and his legacy of the actual franchise. But first off, uh, we talked a little bit about Madeline and Leah Sadu. I really enjoyed her portrayal. I thought that the chemistry she had with Daniel was great. I thought the way she portrayed the torture and the kind of her almost life arc from like, you know, seeing her mother die and raising a kid and being saved by, um, you know, Rami Malek's character. So yeah, and even like the fact that, you know, she is in the world of this James Bond uh, franchise, the daughter of, of, of Mr. White, a villain from a previous James Bond, uh, Daniel Craig movie. So there was a bit of a uh, history there as well. So yeah, it's fantastic, honestly. I feel like, you know, she was a great choice. Um, she's one of those, I guess, actors that hasn't had too much screen presence. So I felt like, you know, I haven't seen too, too much of her. She hasn't yeah. been overexposed to me in other movies. And I think that's always a, an interesting thing where sometimes, like for example, Rami Malek, everyone's aware of him. He just bloody won an Oscar not too long yeah, ago. Yeah. You're super aware of him being chosen as, as playing a villain. But then you can have these other characters that are put, you know portrayed by actors where James Bond is ultimately their big break. I think a cool thing about this franchise and any kind of European franchise is the fact that they can use actors that a lot of other franchises wouldn't really touch. Right. Like, especially, like, if, if obviously there's a lot of franchises like Marvel or DC that wouldn't really have too many European actors playing major roles. Where this movie can lean into that like crazy. She's a French actress, and wh when, like, when do you ever see any sort of French actresses in uh, yeah. any kind of Marvel or DC or any major franchise? 100%. So it's cool that she can actually be used in this way, and that's something that they can lean on, yep. which is very unique. And speaking of Rami Malek, what did you think of his portrayal as I, I thought it was like an okay villain. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a, a a villain that kind of blew me away or was like... I don't think he's going to go down as one of those kind of like major iconic villains in, in Bond lore or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I think it, it ultimately, you know, he, Safin serves a purpose, but this movie is less so about Safin and it's more so about the Daniel Craig conclusion story. Yeah. You know, it's it's like the, the, the film opens literally with him having to say goodbye um, and it's his choice to to Madeline, and then ultimately, you know, as we kind of go through the movie, they are brought back together because of circumstances, plot twist. There's a kid, you know, your kid there, your daughter, and then ultimately, like I said, the the tragedy in this whole story is he can't be with them. So that's for me. That for me is the story of this final movie. Everything else is just trying to get to that finish line. I'm not gonna lie though. I, I, I really appreciate what Rami Malek did with the character. Yeah. I felt like the story didn't flesh out the villain enough. 100%. Right? Like, it didn't... Like, by the time we got to that scene where he brings in Madeline and her daughter and they're sitting across from each other and he's ex she's just explaining the situation, I felt like by that time I was like, what, what else have we learned about this dude? Yeah. I, I don't know anything about this guy besides, like, the opening scene. Yeah. And it just felt like he was completely unfleshed and, like, just a very unexplored character. Yeah, like to such a degree that I was, I just wasn't interested in. Yeah. Even when we got to the point where you know we get to the end where uh, James Bond ends up killing him. Yeah, I didn't care. Like it's not like you said, it's not about that in terms of the story, but it would have been a nicer layer had that been a bigger conclusion because that would have felt more like a conclusion because they didn't. Yeah, and you were waiting for what's going to happen next, which ended up being James Bond dying. Yeah, which is fine, but it would have made that moment I feel much bigger. Yeah, when I think back at the, the villains of the James Bond movies from the Daniel Craig franchise, I feel like Javier Bardem nailed it, nailed it out the park in Skyfall, which is probably the best movie of the franchise as well. And then you had Christopher Waltz. Of James Bond, period? Of, I would say Skyfall is one of the best James Bond movies, period. Like, you, you've got to throw in everything into the mix. That's how good... I mean, we'll talk about the overall franchise later if you want to, in terms of how like I would rank all, all five movies. But... Yeah, Javier Bardem in Skyfall, outstanding performance as a villain there. And Christoph Waltz, like, you know, playing, you know, Blofeld, who has been, you know, uh, you know played by other actors in other iterations of James Bond. So that was a very interesting choice to, to bring back a character that we all know and love in terms of a villain, but played by Christoph Waltz. Again, just an incredible actor. So it was like a multiverse kind of situation. Uh, it's, I wouldn't call it a multiverse. Or like an alternate universe. It's almost like it's, 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 it's almost like a fresh a restart. It's, it's okay. almost like a reboot. It's like we're going to keep... It's almost like they keep telling the same stories and they can cherry pick what villains they want to and what stories they want to from the novels and previous movies. But it's almost like this is like for this generation there you go and we're gonna hit the reset but it's like Batman 
right? We know we're going to get Joker and the Riddler, and we've seen these characters, uh, you know, uh, played by other actors and other versions of Batman. And yes, now we can call it the multiverse where we can cherry pick, you know, what we're going to do. But before that, it was just like, oh, that's just a Batman movie. We're going to hit the reset button, sure, sure, sure. and we're going to go again with a new actor. That's exactly how it James Bond. Okay, okay, okay. And now let's talk about Anna Day and Ross. Hello, man. You're late. Anna de Armas was, for me, the like the best part of this entire movie. She's right. so dope. She's like, I was just thinking, like, I'm I'm glad I watched this movie just for her scenes alone because she stole the show for me. I feel like I'm like Barry Gordy, like signing a Motown singer, like she's a star, but like she's just so tremendous in this movie. And uh, yeah, it's uh, by the time she leaves, which is like five minutes into like her like like just entering the movie, and she's gone, and I'm just like, wait, that's it? Yeah, that's all we get. And it's just like, I, you see like the advertisements and the poster and all this kind of stuff. I'm fully expecting her to have this really major role in this movie. And then she walks in, steals the show, and leaves within five minutes. Which for me left like this lingering of like, oh, she's not going to come back? Like, yeah. it, just, it just felt like there was like this major presence on screen and then it just kind of goes away. There's a, there's a term in soccer called the super sub, where a substitution is made. Somebody comes on gets there 5, 10, 15 minutes and absolutely murders it on the pitch, scores like a hat trick, completely changes the game. And that's for me is what Anna does in her performance. Like you said, she gets like, I think a maximum of 15 minutes in total and it's essentially this entire sequence in Cuba, but she makes the most of it. I am not aware of Anna de Amas at all from any previous work. So this is like my first kind of introduction to her as an actor. And I thought she did a fantastic job. I thought she stole the show. Like she has great screen presence. I feel like I can see her in rom-coms. I feel like I can see her in a, in a variety of different genres and movies moving forward. But yeah, talk about making the most of your moment there. Yeah, she's in um, she's in Knives Out. She's in Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves. Like she's been in a bunch of different stuff. I and mean, she's fantastic. It's, it's like... It's such a foregone conclusion that she's going to be a major star in Hollywood mm -hmm. for so many different reasons, but obviously this one, it really proved that, number one, she has the chops to be a major action star, so I'm sure there's like a franchise just waiting for her down the line. Right. Who knows what it's going to be, but it's there and there's no way they're not going to set her up for success. It's crazy that you mentioned Knives Out. I can't, I don't know, I've seen the movie, I love the movie. I don't even remember her performance in the movie, but the she's fact that... She's the, like the, you know the girl who takes care of the old man? Oh, that's right, her. right, right. Crazy how she's been in like two Daniel Craig franchises now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean? that's, that's wild. Yeah, exactly. Connective tissue right there. But I think she absolutely nails it. And again, major L that she doesn't have a bigger role going, mm. like just in this. But again, it, she, she laid the foundation. It's just obvious that she's going to be a star going forward. Yep. Another person that feels like they're going to be a star going forward is Lashana Lynch, yeah. who plays the alternate James Bond, or the alternate 007, Nomi. Yep. And uh, I thought she killed it too. And it, it, it was probably hilarious, just for me as an outside observer, seeing the controversy of like how people are, were so up in arms about Daniel Craig becoming uh, James Bond. And then you hear about rumors about Idris Elba becoming James Bond. They're like, oh, I don't want a black James Bond. And now they like snuck in a female black 007 into the franchise. And I'm like, hell yeah. That's exactly what you should do. Yeah. Because that's a big fuck you to like all those people that were like, oh, we're very precious about who this character is. And it's like, that's a way cooler way to introduce somebody into that. You know what's cool about um, No Time to Die is you have Anna de Armas, who is essentially playing the Bond girl. Yeah. Bond girls don't get that much screen time. Sure. Right? So she's got that on her resume. She has played a Bond girl. And for many actresses, that's something to put on the resume. Hey, I've been part of a James Bond movie. That's on my resume, right? Yeah. I tell you something that... I guess a lot of you know female actors want and potentially would never get and it's the role that Lashana Lynch got. I mean, she first of all is almost like the the, the co-star in many ways for the entire movie and you hit the nail on the head. It's like all the controversy about potential casting rumors, who's going to be the next James Bond? Will it be a black James Bond? And here you have a black female 007. She holds her own, she has great screen presence. She's so believable, right? as a secret agent for the British government, yeah. for MI5. And I thought, you know, her performance, her interaction with Daniel Craig, I thought they had great chemistry from the very introductory scene all the way right and through to the end. So, and again, talk about somebody else that I want to see more. You know, throw her in the MCU, throw her in the DCU, something. Like, I feel like she has great screen presence. She's definitely got some physicality about her. Yeah. Um, she's got this aura about her and, and some, like, really cool charisma and personality and some spunk 
about her. Yeah, it's funny how we like look at these characters in like different movies and we're like, okay, cool. Now let's call them up to the big time, which yeah. is the MCU right. and all these other franchises. Because this is the, that's 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 the lay of the land yeah. in what 2021, isn't it? It's like if you are an actor or an actress and you're able to jump on board with the MCU or the or the DC um, expanded universe, you know that. A, they're going to be most likely successful, but B, also, you know, that's going to carry you for the next 10 years. You can do, like, one of those projects or one of those big movies every couple of years while at the same time honing your craft, you know, and still doing independent movies or, you know, some other types of genres. It's almost like the ultimate sustainability at the moment if you're someone in Hollywood to try and jump on board with the MCU or the DCEU. Yeah, and speaking of other franchises, Daniel Craig already has Knives Out. Yeah. Like, set up, he's... Uh, I think two has already been filmed. It's on like probably in post production at this point. At this point, but uh, now it feels like Daniel Craig is finally he gets to go away from this franchise and kind of do his own thing. What's his legacy as Bond? What's like just the legacy of his five films that he completed? I think he was the right James Bond for this generation, uh, and I feel like almost every James Bond is the right James Bond for that generation. I think the, d- the debate growing up was always, who's your favorite James Bond? Is it Roger Moore or Sean Connery? And that was always the conversation, that was always the debate, even when I was in school, even when Pierce Brosnan was doing his thing, he was never held at that standard as a Roger Moore or Sean Connery, even though he had a very successful run. I do feel like Daniel Craig is gonna start to get in that conversation now. And I feel like he's gonna get into that conversation as one of the best Bonds, only because this run has been so different you know, he's had real character growth, real character progression. He hasn't just been like playing almost the same character every single time. There's been a difference, there's been some nuance in what he's going through movie after movie after movie and that's really helped him, I think. And that's going to help him even moving forward to stand the test of time as being one of the all-time great James Bonds. So which one's the best out of all of them? All right, I mean, I think Skyfall, 100%. Sam Mendes, they brought him on board. I mean, talk about you know, Academy Award winning director coming in to do his very first James Bond movie. He done such a great job that they got they brought him back to do Spectre, which wasn't as good as Skyfall. Still pretty solid, not going to lie. But Skyfall for me is like number one. Then it's Casino Royale, which was his debut. Then I'm going to put in No Time to Die, which we just watched as number three. Then I'll put in Spectre, and then right at the bottom, I will put in Quantum of Solace. And the thing is, and I know that you've seen Quantum of Solace, and you weren't happy um, with you know your experience watching that movie. The thing about Quantum of Solace, people do need to remember, it was made during the time of the Screen Actors Guild strike. So many projects, TV and movie shows, um, sorry, TV shows and movies rather, got delayed, or, or like studios had to either like like pull the trigger on the script they had, or potentially wait and at that time you just didn't know how long the lockout was going to be for a year two years three years and they're trying to like you know figure out like do we still keep our deadline do we still keep this rocking and rolling so they decided to go ahead with ultimately ended up being a a poor script and they tried to like you know add some you know revisions to it what and if you look at the making of that movie they were actually almost figuring out the movie as they were making it, which is not the way you make a movie. You need to have a solid story and a solid script before you start production. And I think obviously that movie suffers, uh, but that's why it's the bottom of the pile. I will say though this, at least he has one of the all-time great James Bond movies on his resume. So having said all that, let's go into the future. Who do you think should play James Bond next? Because it feels like there's just so much controversy, like just... Just surrounding the concept and topic of it, because people don't want, like, obviously we heard Daniel Craig say recently, like, there shouldn't be a female James Bond only because they should have their own character that should be able to exist outside of that. Right. They, and a lot of people obviously are very controversial about being a black James Bond, and should it be Tom Hardy? Should it be, like, Henry Cavill? There's so many different people that are in contention right now. Yeah. But who do you want? Who, who do you think should be actually the next James Bond? I generally don't know. It's, 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 and I have to say... I think this, more than any other time of the history of the franchise, is the most difficult choice to make for the Broccoli family and MGM who are controlling production on the James Bond franchise because I feel like almost in many ways they're going to annoy people. Whoever they appoint, whoever they cast, it's going to piss a certain group off in one way, shape or form. People have to remember when they cast Daniel Craig, it pissed a lot of people off. They were like, how in the world? can we stomach a blonde James Bond? <laughs> Which is so stupid. So just, think about that argument now in 2021. That was what was being, you know, banded about in the tabloids and, you know, in the media back in, what, 2004, 2005. 
right? That was a big story. Yeah. Oh, we can't have a blonde James Bond. This sucks and yada yada yada. Yeah. And and look what ended up you know happening is like a, a fantastic run, like a great Skyfall. We're talking about you know the, the best movies made over a billion dollars. Oh, one, almost 1.2 billion dollars at the at the worldwide box office. So by the time he got to his third movie, he's ca- he's an absolute cash cow. And if the Broccoli family had their way, they would have signed him up for five more movies. It was, it was Daniel Craig's choice ultimately to to come back and finish off with his final fifth and final movie. But there's some great actors out there. You named a couple already. I think you know Henry Cavill, um, Tom Hardy. I would love to see a Black James Bond. Listen, if we're going in that route, which I think, if, if I'm being honest, like. What could be something that I would be that, that would make me interested in this franchise? I think if they signed an actor who actually gets people excited right. and could provide something real fresh for that character, I think that would be a lot of fun. Two two people that came to the top of my head were uh, for going with just a different Daniel. What about Daniel Kaluuya? Yeah, I love it. Right, another dude who is such a fantastic actor. I don't even know if they get him because he feels like his resume is just becoming this whole other thing right that's just going to be incredible i almost don't want him to do it because the way his resume is going i don't need him to be in this kind of franchise he's absolutely killing it what well, we just saw him as fred hampton we've seen what he did as, uh, in basically every single jordan peele property and he's about to do in the new jordan peele property as well and i'm so excited to see what he does the other person i thought which feels like they make almost more sense for me john boyega Right? We had him play Finn in the Star Wars franchise, which was like a bit of a mixed bag, but it wasn't for the lack of him being a talented actor. Just feels like he is somebody who still has like that bankable resume, yeah, and has the acting chops. Has obviously is British, and you know, like why not? It'd be like a fun way to explore that. He's like a cool dude. I've seen him in interviews. He seems like a really dope guy, and uh, it would just be like a fun way to kind of switch it up. Obviously, Idris Elba is very like too old for this character at this point but that would be like a fresh young character or a fresh young actor to be able to portray that character yeah Idris Elba would have been honestly ideal like 10 years ago mm-hmm. you know I think he's like when you commit to James Bond franchise they, they normally sign you up for like I think three or four movies yeah. you know you're going to be dedicating the next what 10 to 12 years of your life you know on this character there's going to be a certain amount of time you're going to be these you know, productions can be like six to nine months uh, uh, for an actor who's in the lead role I would love to see Daniel Kalula. I would love to see um, John Boyega and I, and I honestly don't know them personally or anything like that but I kind of feel like they would both jump at the opportunity I know you said you know Kalula's got a great resume already and he can he can pretty much do anything he wants to right now but the fact that they're both British the fact that this is James Bond it's one of the most coveted roles any actor grow, growing up especially in the UK would love to portray and I feel like for actors both of Kalula's um, stature and Boyega's, the fact that this is an opportunity to play the first black James Bond, that person knows that they're gonna have to like really put it on their shoulders. Yeah, like that's and I feel like these two are these two actors feel like the kind of uh, people that would want to almost you know revolutionize how things move forward yeah so like if anything they would in my in my mind anyway jump at the opportunity if it was presented to them just so that it can change the game moving forward for the next generation to come up and it'd be an interesting way to like shake up that franchise and like let's say we had somebody like tom hardy like those guys that i mentioned they would be like their career would be made going forward because of a role like that a guy like tom hardy he's in the exact same spot if anything he's just He's helping the franchise a little bit yeah. because he has so much name value. They feel like safe choices. To yeah, me. exactly. Yeah. He feels like a very safe choice. I'd rather them do something real interesting, invest in the future, believe in somebody, which is something I love about what what they do with a lot of Marvel characters. Who would have thought Paul Rudd would work as Ant Man? Yeah. Who would have thought that you know uh, like somebody like Robert Downey Jr. in like the way the place that he was in two thousand eight coming in as Iron Man. Who would have known that that would have worked out so well? 100%. Take a chance, swing on somebody new, and yeah. I think it'll be pretty awesome. And the fact that you'll be supporting, you know, a young black British actor. Look at what you know John Boyega went through with the Star Wars franchise. You know, he's so bitter about it now, given how it was promoted in certain markets, right? Uh, and Daniel Kaluuya and the way his character was like basically unflushed out, hundred percent, completely. He's so interesting in that first movie, and basically non-existent by the end of the franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be the most difficult choice for the Broccoli family that controls the, the rights to James Bond. And I, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be, the, the announcement is going to shake up the industry one way or another. Because, like I said, whatever they do, whatever path they decide to go down, it's going to 
make a lot of people happy and I feel like it's gonna piss a lot of people off but ultimately like I always say the proof is in the pudding you have to wait until you get that first movie with a new James Bond like I thought Piers Brosnan Goldeneye amazing what a great debut that was right we remember playing the video game but that's such an iconic time mid 90s Daniel Craig Casino Royale nailed it just set the tone perfectly what we were gonna get so I feel like you have to give them the chance to like you know work with whoever they end up deciding to work with you should be able to see the chemical plant architecture which one's Bond He's the, um, he's the Psy, he's the Trident thingy. Let's get into our categories. Mm. What was the best kill for you? Oh, this was easy. So James Bond uses his EMP watch to blow up the bionic eye in the henchman's head at the final sequence of the movie. Yeah, that was really dope. I thought like the coolest one for me was when he kills uh, Blowfield. Right? Because cool. it was just like... It kind of he, he grabs him, he turns around, you go back, and he's dead. Yeah, like that was just like a very tra- like for me that felt like a very traditional James Bond thing to do, and it was very well well executed and felt like it was like oh shit, something just changed here. And the cool thing about that sequence is one of those very um, I guess uh, interesting moments where us the viewer knows more than a James Bond and Blofeld. When he holds Madeline's hat, a wrist for a split second, we the audience know that oh crap, the virus that she had sprayed on her wrist has just been transferred now to James Bond's hand. He feel, he thinks he's just uh, strangling Blofeld without ultimately squeezing too hard to kill him. But what ends up killing Blofeld is the virus yeah. that James Bond has unknowingly passed on. So I thought that was so well executed. Very cool. Uh, best character? James Bond. Daniel Craig, for me, nailed it. I've, I've enjoyed his performance throughout this entire run and uh, I thought it was a fitting end. For me, it's almost like when you... like. Have like a rap song and then somebody just like or even like a like a R&B pop song and then like a rapper just walks in with like eight bars that are just yeah, yeah. killer like Jay-Z yeah. on frontin right that was Anna de Armas for me Fair. as Paloma she walked in dropped eight bars and just Bounce. walked out dropped the mic and that <laughs> yeah, was it yeah. uh, what about best scene uh, James Bond has to tell uh, Madeline that he's been infected with the virus and essentially has to say goodbye before he dies and again it's not something we've ever seen before we have never seen James Bond die in a movie that for me was an incredible scene, and honestly, it just uh, the payoff emotionally was fantastic as well. For me, it could have been any of like the chase scenes. It could have been any single one. The one where they're in the Land Rovers, the one where he's in the bike and he's kind of get, getting away in that uh, wherever that setting was and the stairs and all that. Uh, but I went with him and Paloma kind of infiltrating Spectre. Yeah. Just the whole grandness of like them having an action sequence, but also when everybody dies, that was a very like f- like cool way for everybody to die. Like this. This coordinated, like scientific, biological weapon that specifically kills people with a genetic trait, like that, was very cool to find out about, and it just everything about that scene was very, very, very cool. Yeah, and I thought the way they actually used the idea of a virus was so unique. It's something that we haven't really seen before. Yeah. No, normally, in like mo- movies that have like a, a, a potentially like global catastrophe, apocalypse level virus, is is the whole aim of the game of the virus is to wipe out everybody and anybody yeah. here it's very targeted it's very specific which is like a plot twist in itself. and it's a conflict because like you know the good guys want it the bad guys want it it's yeah. like this like it's a yeah it's a great way to actually use like a biological weapon like that it's yeah. like that like the way i talk about how like the technology of james bond is very cool and it's very specific and like feels like it's like million years in the future yeah that virus felt like okay cool this can only exist in a james bond movie it only right. makes sense because of that yeah uh what about star rating again five being the best movie you've ever seen zero being the worst where is this one in it give me a 3.75 uh, i thought it was like a really good conclusion i thought it was a solid james bond movie it didn't hit the high mark for me that skyfall and casino royale did but for, it was a lot better than uh, Quantum of Solace and um, Spectre so it's kind of like almost just above average for me I feel like again I'm coming from like a weird sure. perspective so I, I, I would give it like a 2.75 but right. again my, my I feel like my opinion of like actually reviewing it is like almost invalid you know because I didn't I didn't go through the journey with you guys yeah yeah, yeah. you know what's funny it's like any other time in history you we could have watched any other James Bond yeah, yeah. and there it was, was like one off stories no, yeah it's a one off story there's no like um, you know prior viewing required and for this one though it was like yeah it's like i don't even know what that experience would be like if i hadn't seen the other four i don't know what my experience would be like watching this as a standalone movie knowing it's the end of a of a a much bigger story yeah all right now let's get into the news items of the week first let's start off with dc fandom because that was the biggest thing that happened this past week obviously there's so many properties that came out of there the biggest ones for me were batman peacemaker 
Black Adam and The Flash. Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. For you, what are you looking forward to the most? What stuck out to you? Just your thoughts on that event. Yeah, for me it was very easy. It was The Flash and The Batman. Getting that brand new trailer for The Batman, I'm like, I cannot be more hype right now. Bring on March. Bring on Robert Pattinson. Bring me... We've spoken about this before. It's like, we're pretty down in general when it comes to the DCEU. But give us one of our favorite characters and let's just go into the Batman universe. We don't need, you know, Robert Pattinson to be jumping around in multiverses. Just give us that. And man, like, from what we saw in the trailer, or what I've seen from the trailer, Jesus Christ. I mean, I think we could be on A to a, a great run. This could be a great franchise. Uh, I, I feel like I've seen the trailer for the first movie and I'm, I'm already like, give me the second and the third movie. Yeah. Like, that's how high I plan for the Batman. Um, and then... The for, crazy thing, even before we get off Batman, like, yeah. it feels like the hype for that movie is almost to the point where people are like, is this going to be better than Chris Nolan's movies? I know, right? Like, to even think that, yeah. to even think that's conceivable, after being around when like, you know, The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and Dark Knight Rises were all around. Like, those were held in such a high esteem. To think that there might be a franchise better than that? Yeah. Obviously, that's so much hype to live up to. And when the movie actually comes out, I don't want to judge it based on that. Yeah. But the fact that it people will is insane. And I tell you what, that is the sign of a ga- goddamn good trailer. Yeah. Because also, this trailer doesn't give you much of anything when it comes to the plot. I thought it was a really good trailer, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot to live up to there. Uh, Christopher Nolan, one of the all-time great directors, a fantastic trilogy uh, with the Dark Knight uh, franchise. But listen, I feel like they've got all the right people and all the right places. And again, visually from what I've seen so far, I feel like tonally, this is really cool. We're going to get a Batman year two. So it kind of like... Feels fresh. Feels fresh. And it feels like they're finally like... DC is getting their drawback. You yeah. know what I mean? They have their main event. Like they have like they have their guy that is finally going to take them back up to the promised land. Right. The promised land. Yeah. Right? Like, they have uh, the DC fandom last year. It had two or 22 million people as a, that ended up watching that. Right. This year was 66, yeah. just off the draw of Batman. I mean, obviously, there's other movies, too, but, like, let's be real. It was Batman bringing all the other Yeah, and I feel like maybe, you know, there have been, like, conventions in the past, like San Diego Comic-Con, mm-hmm. where a lot of the studios used to, like, do their big unveils. And I feel like things have changed, especially in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything. And They've I feel like, realized. I feel like the studios realized, hey, we can do this on our own terms. We can have everything set accordingly. We have a global audience. Yeah. Um, we're going to be just dropping hot content trailers and posters and teasers and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think they, they're on to a win. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, next year they once again break that number and break records in terms of viewers but yeah the batman was one and then like i said the flash finally you know we get a proper trailer and we get the voiceover of michael keaton playing tim burton's batman one of my favorite batman uh, franchises he was only batman twice batman 1989 and then batman returns i'm so excited for his return i can't tell you how excited i am um and and i think we've spoken about this in previous episodes too is like this Flash movie is so freaking pivotal to this DCEU multiverse and what's, what's going to happen moving forward. And, you know, we know this much about the Flash movie where it's almost like the baton is being passed, where this is going to be, you know, Ben Affleck's last performance as Batman. And he hasn't really been a Batman that most people have enjoyed. Let's yeah. be frank and let's be honest about it. But at the same time, it's Michael Keaton coming back to reprise his version of Batman, a much older Batman, which people have adored for many, many generations, you know, he's so far two for two, great, you know, two really great movies, Tim Burton, and the fact that he's coming back, man, I can't tell you how excited I am, I'm yeah. so hyped for that. Another one that I'm really excited about is Peacemaker, obviously it's the, the spin-off franchise from the Suicide Squad, but James Gunn has said that the series is inspired by The Office, he says that uh, it's going to include more people getting shot in the face than The Office. Uh, and he's actually directing five episodes out of eight episodes. Oh, damn. Which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Like, it, the fact that he's going to... like Obviously, he has, like, such a high bar for superhero movies and the franchises that he's a part of. Yeah. But to see him take such a vested interest in this character and basically build, like, this real strong bond with, Jane, with John Cena. Yeah. Right? It's seeing, like, this person who comes from pro wrestling and is basically getting to break through in a completely different way than The Rock did. And also, this is 
honestly, like the the DC Warner Brothers, like HBO Max, this is their first real, I guess, go for a series based off one of the main characters from the movies. Yeah, you know, we've seen Disney Plus do this with a bunch of their MCU shows now. Uh, yes, we've seen DC characters in in shows before on, on the CW. We've seen Smallville, and we've seen you know a whole bunch of different, you know, Supergirl, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we've never seen one of the main characters, one of the main actors from one of the big epic movies, now give us like a proper run on a TV show. And that's what John Cena is doing with the Peacemaker under the helm of uh, of James Gunn. I'm very excited about that. I'm not gonna lie, like even like going into the the new Suicide Squad, I know I was pretty down, but I was pleasantly surprised. On the, on the way out of what I saw and we've spoken about this more give James Gunn more just give yeah. him more control give him more properties let him be your quarterback or something give yeah, him yeah. Kevin Feige role he kind of seems like he knows what he's doing exactly uh, next we got Black Adam which is going to be Rock's superhero movie yeah. like, obviously there's so much hype about that it's a weird mixed bag because you're like Rock's not the best actor in the world I'd say but in terms of like star power, there's literally nobody bigger than him. Yeah. Right. And the most notable like pull quote came from Pierce Brosnan actually, where he said that the scope of Black Adam was bigger than his entire tenure with Bond, I which says that. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, I just hope like again, I just hope it's good because again, it's The Rock trying to create a character instead of like the character being like a spinoff of the who The Rock really is. Yeah. He's such a charismatic person that he almost like takes over the screen. And he also takes over these roles like that are defined, like people know them. Like even if you go watch in Baywatch and you see the stuff that he does in uh, Jumanji and stuff like that, like these are known franchises. But for some reason, it's always The Rock in that franchise and not the other way around. Yeah, and it's a, again a bit of a risky move in many ways because it's like The Rock playing a superhero anti-hero you know, anti slash villain. We don't know, you know, what you know story arc we're gonna actually get get this get in this movie. Yeah, but. It's kind of like in that world of Shazam, where we know him and that the character of Black Adam and Shazam are connected. At the same time, ultimately, what everyone's already thinking about is like, can we finally just have like Black Adam and Superman face off? Like, two yeah. two two guys that basically have the same uh, powers. Like, I don't know if we're gonna get a tease of that in the movie, or maybe the something that they're pl- you know, planning for down the road. You honestly, do it. Like, plan it for way down the road. Yeah. Like, if you want to introduce a new Superman, let's let's move on from Henry Cavill. Even if you want to keep Henry Cavill, I'm cool with that, too. Sure. But, like, maybe we can introduce him in, like, a new way. Yeah. And uh, it would be cool down the road if you had what we should have gotten from Batman vs. Superman. And instead we get, like, a ma- way cooler version with Black Adam vs. Superman. I, I, I tell you what, I am excited about um, this property specifically because DC tends to have always just played with the same characters. Yeah. And finally they're breaking it. Like Aquaman isn't my favorite character, but Black Adam for me and for a lot of people is probably even lesser known mm-hmm. than than Aquaman. So I think for me there's like more to understand, there's more to explore. Like, I don't know what the story of Black Adam is. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that I'm going to get that experience while watching this movie with the rock headlining, I'm excited about that. What about uh did you hear about what Patty Jenkins said about Wonder Woman? She says she's the most relevant superhero of our time. Which I think is the most number one. I, I I could understand if you were off that first movie, yeah, thinking like, all right, I'm hot shit. Yeah. But coming off that second movie that was complete trash. Yeah. Like, how can you even say these words and not like just vomit immediately? Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't agree. Number one. Yeah. And um, I think yeah, she. I think had she said that perhaps after the first movie release. Yeah. You're saying something on, on a bit of a high note there, but cool. but like coming off the second one, like think about how much we shit on this movie. Think about how much yeah. just the perception of this. Like you basically have to rehab this character now going forward, because what they did in that second movie was just utterly like, like just complete trash. Yeah, Patty Jenkins. I mean, she, she's got a lot riding on this final movie in yeah. the, of this kind of I guess trilogy. I'd say this much about what they had to go through with Wonder Woman. Their hands have been tied a little bit because. They haven't been able to play in the present. And I know that was a big thing for Gal Gadot, where she said, like, all right, two movies set in the past, done with that. Let's keep it all current. Like, let me now play in the world where where we have Batman, Superman, and Aquaman, and all these, Black Adam, and all these other characters. They all exist. Now let's see what we can do with that. Yeah, it also feels like she's always been, like, kind of the person who's tied up in the fact that she has to be in the Justice League. Right. Right? Like, she has to be somebody that helps build up Batman vs. Superman. She has to be somebody who's there to help build up Justice League. Yeah. 
she didn't get to like exist within her own like storylines and all that kind of stuff like you said the ones that she has are very time based so I'll, I'm willing to give her another shot but I just think that statement that Patty Jenkins made was pretty absurd I agree what about like just last thing about DC what's the state of DC going forward because the last thing we always left off with was both of us were very down on DC at the start of this year. Yeah. But it feels like they finally did it. They changed their perception. One, coming off the Suicide Squad, which was a massive success in terms of uh, financially, I'm sure. But in terms of critical appeal, that was a massive success. Yeah. A huge uh, perceptual turnaround for the yeah. franchise. And now going forward with what they have in the slate, like what we just talked about, I think DC might be in the best place. Like they ha- They're finally back in a position where it's like, okay, cool. If they nail all this... It's not going to just be a foregone conclusion that Marvel's the hottest shit around. Right. They can actually ha- like be a major player again. I feel like they haven't quote-unquote turned it around for me just yet. What they've done is they've got me incredibly excited about their upcoming projects and, and releases, but they have to deliver. I feel like if this next batch of movies don't deliver, if the Flash movie sucks, count me out. I'm going to be so checked out of the DCEU multiverse. I'm going to be really like I don't give a crap about anything moving forward Yeah. give me Robert Pattinson as Batman if that's a success I'm down to ride with that character and that franchise alone but yeah Black Adam The Flash uh, the next Aquaman movie that's currently being made all these movies um, even like you know something like the Peacemaker um, show like they're all connected now to this DCEU multiverse they all honestly need to deliver for me on a critical level. If they smash it commercially, great. That's not gonna affect me. They need to like really deliver for me because I feel like more often than not, everything the MCU delivers is like, I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying pretty much everything. Whereas with DCU, it's so hit and miss, mostly missed and hits, where I feel like they need a run of hits for me now. That's fair. Um, let's get into a few quick other news items. First, uh, just what Tom Holland said last week, with uh, No Way Home. He said that they're treating it basically like the end of the franchise. He says, if we're lucky enough to dive into these characters again, you'd see very different versions of them. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. We would try to give it some time and try to build something different and totally change the films. Mm. First off, what are your thoughts on that? Interesting quote. Uh, I wonder how much that has to do with Sony playing ball with Disney and Marvel Studios and whether the Tom Holland Spider-Man as we know it is going to continue perhaps in Sony movies mm-hmm. or whether it means that what happens in this next Spider-Man movie means that his character is completely changed. Like we know with, with time travel and you know different universes and the multiverse, that could definitely happen. Yeah, or it could just honestly just mean that, hey, this was the, the Homecoming trilogy We've kind of told our story on, on on these three movies, and now we're going to go in a completely different direction. And we've got a whole new idea planned for where we're going to take this character in the next trilogy or the next saga or whatever. I really hope that they're able to retain Spider-Man into the MCU. Yeah. Because I think he's such an important part of that. Like, just the franchise going forward, until they, like, they can replace him as a presence. Like, it'd be cool, you know, we had, like, our whole uh, era with Iron Man and Captain America. If the second era is very... Uh, important to have Spider-Man as that prominent character. I'm happy with that. Yeah. And like, let's say Doctor Strange is the other one. Like, I'm I'm happy with that. And if they have to move on to something else after that, and like, let's say the next ones are going to be like uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four or something like yeah. that, I'm cool with that. But let us enjoy what's actually happening right now, and right. don't just abruptly just kind of take him from what's happening in No Way Home, which obviously isn't the conclusion. It's mostly just the beginning of a brand new story. I don't want to see him just go away. I get that we have to have him in Sony. I get that they own it, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I'm, I've made peace with the fact that he can just exist in like these one-off Sony projects. But I want him to exist completely separately within the MCU for the next like decade or something. Yeah, I mean that is definitely wishful thinking. But you'd like to think that you know Kevin Feige and these guys can work with Sony. Yes. We've seen them do it, man. I mean, like listen, they, even today uh, they talked about how it was such a coordinated effort between Sony and Marvel to pull off that post-credit scene in Venom. Yeah. Um, so they obviously worked on that. We know that Venom's going to be involved in some way, shape, or form in the MCU movies moving forward. How well, much of that we'll confirmed, see? Confirmed, but hopefully it's not the case. I mean, we know that he's living in that world. Yeah, you know that. That's, that's I mean, true. That post-credit scene tells you everything you need to know. That's true. Right. Yeah. That's not like a, that's not going to be a big shock if you. Oh my God, what's Venom doing in this next yeah, Spider-Man yeah, movie? Yeah. Uh, where did that come from? Exactly. Um, but yeah, like I think Kevin Feige would want to play ball and just uh, and look, he's a great negotiator. The fact that he's even got 
to this point by using Spider-Man as a character in the MCU is a fantastic achievement in its own right. Uh, if anyone can do the job, I think Kevin Feige can. Yeah, it's also interesting that Marvel just delayed a bunch of films. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw that, but Doctor Strange went from March to May, basically took the spot of Thor, who now took the spot of uh, Black Panther, which is going to be in July. So again, Thor in July, Black Panther now moved to November, Ant-Man going from 2023 in February to July 2023. Also on a side note, Indiana Jones getting moved to June of 2023. Yeah, I saw those. I mean, honestly, the, the Marvel ones weren't too bad. It's like most of them are just like being shifted by a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So not that not that drastic. Uh, the Indiana Jones one was a big one. Like that's like, what, a year um, after they intended it to be released. Um, and I know that Harrison Ford has had some injuries on the set uh, while um, making this fifth movie. So, hey, if it needs more time, they need to figure it out. Go for it. No, we can wait for the 15 Indiana Jones movies. So I'm cool with rush. that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even just like the the Marvel delays and stuff like that, that was cool. The only thing is like, obviously we were expecting to see Doctor Strange in March. Yeah. I think that's the only one that hurts, just because it was so soon. But hey, we get the Batman in March. So we're yeah, good. exactly. So we're, we're going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to survive. We'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, last thing is just the quote that we were talking about earlier with uh, Quentin Tarantino being open to the idea of doing Kill Bill as his... 10th and supposedly final film I don't know if it'll be his last one because right now he considers Kill Bill 1 and 2 to be one film Right. so who knows maybe he'll just use this as a little uh, asterisk and just put it in there as like again just one part of this entire franchise are you okay with if this was his last film are you hoping for something different are you okay with Kill Bill I'm 100% okay with it like wouldn't it be cool if if we looked at the, the Quentin Tarantino a filmography and he had a trilogy in, in the mix yeah. and the fact that you know the Kill Bill project was so important to him that obviously it was such a, a massive story that was already split into two I'm sure like he's got tons of material to work into a third movie uh, we could obviously explore some of the characters that are still living in that world that would be pretty you know cool and fun the introduction of some of some new characters at the same time though and I think we've spoken about this in the past I'll take anything yeah like uh, if you want to give me Kill Bill 3 I will take that all day long you want to do something completely different or do another Spaghetti Western I'll take that too I don't mind yeah if you ask me Tarantino's got the bestest like filmography ever so he doesn't have to prove anything at this point right but if uh, like obviously my preference is an original story sure I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I love Pulp Fiction I love Inglorious Bastards Everything. I, I, there's just there's not a Tarantino movie that I don't really love. Yeah. But if we're just continuing with the franchise, that's gonna be a lot of fun for for having a third movie, and it, it is very fitting to like actually finish the story with that, and you can like wrap a lot of stuff, and like it's like the same thing with James Bond. It's just you can re- like reference a bunch of stuff from your past. Yeah. Which is a lot of fun. But again, I think it'd just be like a last hurrah of we just get a brand new fresh story from him. Sure. I think I would personally prefer that if yeah. if, if I'm gonna be uh, the person that makes that choice, which I'm not. Yeah. But let's get into our last segment. Let's get wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. Again, if you were to go into Blockbuster and you saw like Dennis's pick or Brad's pick, what is Sandu's pick this week? So I'm going for Being James Bond, the Daniel Craig story. It's a fantastic retrospective documentary. It's available on Crave here in Canada. Um, check your local listings worldwide in terms of how you can find that. But essentially, it's Daniel Craig producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli from the Broccoli family that owns the rights to uh, the James Bond IP. Basically, looking back at the whole series, working with Daniel Craig and you know what it's been like to get to this point just prior to No Time to Die, making five James Bond movies, what it was like taking on that role. I think it is a fantastic job of kind of like looking back you know, at that mid 2000 era when he was first cast James Bond and you know what the general perception of him was you know first being cast that press conference where you know he got he got slaughtered in the media especially in the UK or again like I said of being this blonde James Bond and then kind of like almost going through each of the movies and some of the the challenges they have or talked about um, the Screen Actors Guild strike that really plagued uh, Quantum of Solace and then you, you see you know they finally say hey we finally nailed it we finally got to Skyfall. We finally figured out how to make a really top-notch, five-star James Bond movie with Daniel Craig that ends up being Skyfall. And then the kind of ups and downs of him coming back for the fourth and the fifth movie. I think it's a fantastic... It's only 45 minutes, and I think if you're a James Bond fan, it's definitely worth watching. Awesome. Uh, for me, Brospig is Saint Maud. Uh, again, just sticking with the theme of Halloween. It's October. 
this was a movie from two years ago, 2019. The synopsis is that Maud is a reclusive young nurse whose impressionable demeanor causes her to pursue a pious path of Christian devotion after an obscure trauma. Now charged with the hospice care of Amanda, a retired, a retired dancer ravaged by cancer, Maud's fervent faith quickly inspires an obsessive conviction that she must save her ward's soul from eternal damnation, whatever the cost. Obviously, it sounds very ominous, but basically, it's just... Like, what can I say? I love the feeling of a dread from, like, a horror movie. That's my favorite uh, branch of this genre. And I also will say it's a bit slower, like, it's the very start of the movie, but it's laying down the groundwork and setting the tone for something really tremendous. Like, yeah. I watched it with other friends who aren't just massive horror fans, but... They, it's such a well-rounded horror movie, and by the end of it, we were just left with like this lingering feeling that like just kind of attaches itself to you, and it's great. It's just it's a little bit of something for everybody. It's beautifully shot, but more importantly than anything, again, you'll feel something, which is really all you want from a horror movie. What's so cool about that is the fact that you were able to just hit me with a synopsis from the top of your head without reading it whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but that's the end of the show, guys. Tell me, where can everybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are available on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. For those of you that do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, do rate and review us. That is the easiest way for you to support us and support the show. That is how podcasts on the Apple platform get found and promoted. So that would be much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.